We're in John chapter 14. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 18 this morning. Um, And again, I I want you to understand that Pentecost, there's something unique that happens at Pentecost. And Pentecost means that it's 50 days after the time of where Christ has been a part of the Passover. And so it's actually a part of the feast that we're going on. And it's a time of completion. And so it's a time of completion, but it's also a time of new beginnings. So in the corporate uh, understanding of the church and how God dealt with a feast with the Jewish people, it connects perfectly where we are, because what it did is it signaled the beginning of the church age. So this is because the Holy Spirit comes with wind and fire. We know that in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit came upon individuals. But this is where in the New Testament, it becomes upon the whole church. And so we begin to see the the wind that comes into the room. And now you hear the wind, but they wouldn't have felt the wind. But it was an overwhelming wind that they began to hear it. It was a sight of individual tongues of fire landing upon each of the the people's heads in the room where they were gathered together. But also, I want you to understand that it was a reversal of Babel. Because there was the speaking, and everybody, remember, heard in their own language. So you have confusion in the Old Testament in Babel, where God begins to send out the people into multiple nations. And so how we have uh, now in the New Testament at Pentecost, a bringing back. And so there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the Jewish people, first of all, and that's what we see at Pentecost. But Mickey read for us how their Holy Spirit is brought upon the Samaritans, and there will be a third outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the Gentiles. And God's doing that because he's telling us we're all one church. There's not a church for Jews. There's not a church for Samaritans. There's not a church for Gentiles. We're all a part of one church united together in Christ. And how does that happen? Well, the Holy Spirit is the one that unites us. So the second thing I want you to understand is that we have the truths that we understand that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a force. And again, in the passage that we read, um, Simon was trying to, to get something. He tried to have something that he could get more of. Philip said this, if the Holy Spirit is a force, then we want to get more of the Spirit. If he's a person, then we should be asking, does the Holy Spirit get more of me? So it's with that understanding that we want the Holy Spirit to move within us and control us. And because he is a person, he does that. And only is he a person, but he is co-equal with God. And so we worship him as we do the Father and the Son. Now, again, the Holy Spirit is the one of the Trinity that seems to stay in the background. He's always pushing us more to, to worship and glorify and honor Christ and the Father. But he's no less God, even though they all have specific works within the Trinity. So today, I'm not going to be able to give you everything, a a teaching on the Holy Spirit, and you can walk away and go, I've got it. I figured it out. But we are going to see how the Holy Spirit works in some very specific ways. But let us hear the word of the Lord this morning. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. And I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. 
the sins of renaming God's holy and inerrant word. Let's pray. Father, we come and we ask that you would allow the Holy Spirit to teach us about himself. And so, Father, truly allow us to have eyes to see and hearts to understand what it is that you have brought the Holy Spirit to do for us and in us so that we truly glorify and honor you more and more every day. For this we pray in Christ's name, by the power of the Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. So we're going to look at four specific things of the work of the Holy Spirit. And so the first one, we're going to see that the Spirit is a worker of Jesus' teaching. Now, we know that there's truth God, by his character, is someone who cannot lie. So everything that he talks about is truth. But there does become an aspect here where the disciples are looking at Jesus, and Jesus begins to say to them that he must leave. Now, Sinclair Ferguson gives this example. He goes, would you rather have a church where the Spirit was present and Sinclair Ferguson was preaching... Or would you rather have a church where Jesus was preaching and there was no Holy Spirit? So his point is this, is that most people would choose to have Jesus as their pastor without the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is the one who says it's for our advantage that he leaves. See, Jesus is an individual The Holy Spirit is the one who both indwelt Christ and indwells us. It's not Jesus gets one Holy Spirit and then we have a different Holy Spirit. Same Spirit. So the Holy Spirit that was in Christ, that ministered with Christ and through Christ, is the same Spirit that ministers through us. And so this ministry of the Spirit comes because he is the indwelling teacher. The Holy Spirit is the same as Jesus. But it's to our advantage because why? Because he indwells us. Jesus leaves. He doesn't stop interceding for us, but he's at the right hand of God. The Holy Spirit is the one who remains. And so what he does is he teaches us all things that Jesus taught. He doesn't teach anything new. He doesn't do anything outside of what the scripture says. He is the one who's always teaching truth. And so he's the one who helps us recall and understand. So he's the one who changes our mind and our heart. And so the Holy Spirit is indwelling us. And then what he also does is he guides us into truth. He did this for the Old Testament. Remember, he came upon three specific offices in the Old Testament. Prophets, priests, and kings. Now he could leave. Remember Saul. It said that the Holy Spirit left Saul. But what happens in the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit comes upon the church, he doesn't leave. He will never leave us nor forsake us. If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling with you, which means he's there all the time. So he sees what you see. He hears what you hear. He sees what you speak. He's with you all the time. This is what 2 Peter says, 121. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that moves and guides us into truth. And so everything that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us is truth. And another thing that he does, he teaches us about the deep things about God. 
What do I mean by that? He begins to reveal to us our calling. And again, here's what happens. Maybe you're like me in some ways. If I go to a conference and I hear about mission groups and the call to go be missionaries over in China or missionaries down in Haiti, uh, missionaries over here, or there's outreach programs over to the Booker T. Washington community, or we need to go to New Orleans and to downtown, we need to go to Atlanta or whatever. Every time I hear a new ministry opportunity, I'm just like, yes, we need to do that. I need to go. But should I go? That's the question. And what happens is we need to be listening to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Is everyone called to do everything? No. But the Holy Spirit does speak to you about what he's calling you to do. It's it's one of the reasons why I, I try not to try. I know I'm not perfect in this, but I try not to guilt you into things. We need a children's ministry here. Now, what would be easier is to say, well, if you love Jesus, those of you who are school teachers should be given a whole bunch of hours this summer because you need to put together a program for Northside to minister to children. That is if you love Jesus. See how easy it is? Stick the knife in, turn it a little bit, all in the name of Jesus. But we should be asking, dear God, every one of us, whether you're a school teacher or not a school teacher, dear God, are you asking me, are you calling me to put together the children's ministry for Northside? And I can guarantee you the spirit speaks and moves. And it begins to prick hearts. And when the spirit does that, what he's doing is he's calling us definitely into a, a deeper, intimate knowledge of who God is. Now, again, I, I want to be very clear. It's, it's not knowing about Jesus. It's knowing Jesus. Steve Brown was, was very clear in this. He says he speaks about his wife, Anne, a lot when he goes out and preaches and speaks and different things to the point where people come up to him and ask questions about his wife, Anne. And says, you know, well, what about her? How's she been doing and stuff like that? As if they know her. And Steve says, you don't know my wife. You know about my wife, but you don't know her. And it's that distinction that happens with us when the Holy Spirit comes, he begins to to change us. And it says that he knows our minds, but he also knows the mind of God. And so what he does is he starts to bring us in communion and union with the Trinity. And so for those who have the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, listen, even the the angels don't understand what we have. You have the ability by the Holy Spirit to know the Father and the Son and the Spirit intimately. To know them at a heart level, to to gaze upon them. And so the Holy Spirit drives us to the truth. He's here and he dwells us if you're a Christian. And he pulls us always back to the Father and to the Son. But he always does that by revealing his truth. So that's the first work. The second work is the work of redemption that the Holy Spirit does. And there's three very specific things that the Holy Spirit does according to the scripture in regards to the truth of the the gospel message. The first thing he says uh, is that we're blind. We're blind. We cannot see the truth of the gospel message unless 
The Holy Spirit gives us eyes to see. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So again, the Holy Spirit has to come and give us eyes to see that it is Jesus who takes care of it all. See, we do nothing. We bring nothing. It's only to Christ. And so the Holy Spirit allows us to see that truth, but he also allows us to know God. See, it's spiritually discerned. We can't, just, we can't just figure out the Holy Spirit. We can't figure out the gospel. Remember, what does it say? It's foolishness, right? The things we talk about, the average person goes, you're crazy. Do you hear what you say? Do you tell me what you really trust in? They don't understand because it's a spiritually discerned thing. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So again, the average man's not going to know what you're talking about. They think you're weird. When people come in here, if they're not Christians and we're singing, that's weird. When we talk and have fellowship with one another and we begin to have people who aren't of the same uh, color, we have people who are the same different stratus on the, on the economic scale. We have different people, some people who smell good, some people who don't smell good. But why are we all part of the same fellowship? It's the Holy Spirit. He unites us. We become one. And so this is something that's spiritually discerned. And then the third thing is we have to receive the righteousness of Christ. It's something that, again, the Holy Spirit draws us unto himself. John 6, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Spirit is in work in, in revealing truth. The Spirit is in work in, in works of uh, redemption. But he's also in the midst of works of transformation. And the first thing he is, uh, is we get this word paraclete in this passage. Okay? Now paraclete is a word that's hard. I'll just be honest. Because there's a lot of nuances to the definition. So it could be advocate, it could be comforter, it could be counselor, it could be helper, as we read. And all of those nuances are there. So which one applies? Well, there's only two times in the Bible where this paraclete word is used. And the first one um, comes where it talks about a counselor. Now, again, I want you to think, because it does have kind of a lawyer connotation. But what happens is when they replace Judas... Remember with Matthias, who becomes the, the, the 12th disciple, okay? So he becomes a 12th disciple, but what do they say? Who has been with us from the beginning? Who's been here from the very beginning with Jesus as we've started this ministry? And so it fell to two people, and then they cast lots, and it comes upon Matthias. Now, part of that is because what we're called to do is when you went to court, you would call upon a friend, a longtime friend who knew you well to come and be your advocate. And so he would come and speak and bear witness to who you were. 
And so this legal counsel of advocate can also mean, and uh, Voss, Professor Voss also said this, it can also mean sometimes substitute. So Christ is allowing the, the Holy Spirit to come and be our advocate to bear witness to who we are in our character, because if we are Christians, we are in Christ. So the Spirit comes and becomes our advocate in that. But I don't think that's where it's being used here in this passage. Because of the nuance of the passage, probably speaks a little bit more to comforter. That Jesus is giving to us a comforter. Now, what I don't want you to think is automatically to counseling. Jesus is here simply just to pat us on the back and make us feel good. That's not what the Holy Spirit is here to do. The Holy Spirit is to take us back and teach us some very specific things. The first one is that there's victory over sin. We have the ability um, to be over sin now if you're a Christian. How do we do that? By the teaching of the word, which means this. You actually have to be in the word to know the word for the Holy Spirit to recall. If you're not in the word, then he can't recall it. So again, what does that mean? Pastor, you're you're beating us up. No, go start again. There are packages out in the welcome center. Start a, a reading through the Bible. Pick up a new study. Just be in the Bible. But I'm, I'm now five months behind. Well, don't start at January. That doesn't make sense. Start where you are at. God doesn't, he's not going to misuse that. He's not going to hold it against you and go, well, Professor Bryans, he didn't start where he's supposed to. So you know what? That first six months of the year, that doesn't, that doesn't count. No, he allows Professor Bryans to start where he is. And so he uses it in that, that sense. So we're supposed to preach the gospel to ourselves and to others every day. So he reminds us of the gospel he brings to us. And again, it's that understanding. Ferguson called uh, the Holy Spirit a homemaker. Not a housewife, but a homemaker. And there is a difference. A homemaker is someone who comes and prepares, who does the construction and reconstruction of our lives. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. Does, does that mean that's what some of the, our wives do? Yes. But it's so much more. And so the Holy Spirit is, is changing us by the word. He's changing us by the gospel. And what he does is he then teaches us by praying. How does he do that? Well, first of all, he teaches us to pray. He's the one who teaches us. But he's also the one who prays for us. So you have Jesus who continues to pray for us, but the Holy Spirit prays for us. Roman 8 is very clear that he knows our thoughts. And some, he knows us so well that he can take the words where we're not even able to utter. We can't comprehend. And we're just crying out. And he goes to, to Jesus and he goes to the Father and he says, this is what he means. This is what he's asking for. You're known that Well, let me go to a song, and this is a a good song. I recommend it to you. It's called, uh, I thought I knew what it was called. Yeah, hold on here. Well, I thought I knew. Fully Known and Loved by You. It's by Torn Wells. Listen to what it says. 
You see right through the mess inside of me and you call me out to pull me in. You tell me I can start again and I don't need to keep on hiding. I'm fully known and loved by you. You won't let go no matter what I do. It's not one or the other. Listen, it's hard truth and ridiculous grace to be known, fully known and loved by you. I'm fully known and loved by you. It's both. It's both. It's the hard truth about ourselves. But it's also the ridiculous grace that God gives to us, that he knows us fully and still loves us in spite of everything we bring to the table. And so he knows us fully in the midst of our prayers, but he also helps us in our Christian walk. See, it's a renewing of our minds because that's where the conviction from the word begins to happen. As the word begins to come into our hearts and stuff, we know when we've messed up. Haven't you ever been, if you're a Christian, have you ever been in a a place where you start and go, okay, I really shouldn't continue speaking on what I'm speaking on, but you do anyways? Sometimes the Holy Spirit's telling you to be quiet. Stop talking. Because now you're not being led by the Spirit. That's you. But other times he's convicting you to speak. Those of you who are always saying, um, I don't do well with confrontation. Being a Christian is confronting other people. Sometimes we are called to be a part of our conviction and to tell others. And it's not the Holy Spirit that's the problem. So he comes, he's renewing our minds from the word, but he begins to produce holiness in us, which means that it begins to manifest the holiness in outward actions. So people should be able to see that we are different because of the Holy Spirit living in us. Well, how does he do that? He does it by his last work that we'll look at this morning, his work of service. Now, I want to make the distinction between being the fruit of the Spirit and filled with the Spirit and then the gifts of the Spirit. So in regards to the fruit of the Spirit, um, when we talk about being filled with the Spirit in regards to the fruit, I want you to understand that it's not a special baptism. And especially those of you who've come out of a different background, like myself, where you had, um, you got slain in the Spirit and you're supposed to be able to start speaking in tongues and, and dancing around and all that kind of stuff. There's nothing of that in the Scripture. There's not a second baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's one baptism and one baptism only. But there is a filling of the Spirit, and the filling of the Spirit, again, is where we've already talked about not the pouring of water into a glass, but the use of a glove, putting the the hand in the glove. That's being used by the Spirit. And so the Spirit moves and uses us, but He begins to produce in us the fruit of the Spirit, and that's singular, which means that we have to have all of these characteristics. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Now you don't get to pick and choose out of that list. You don't say, well, I was joyful, but I just don't have to be really kind. You don't get to do that. 
And you really should go and ask the people around you, do I match up to these characteristics? Am I loving? Am I joyful? Am I peaceful with you? Am I patient with you? Am I kind? Am I good? Am I faithful to you? Am I gentle? Am I in self-control when I'm with you? And if they start going, you don't have any of that, then that should scare you. It's also why we can reconnect with each other. The Spirit gives that fruit to each person that's a Christian. So I don't get to pick and choose who I love. I don't get to say, well, I love Palmer, but I hate uh, Elizabeth. Use my own daughter today. She's done some really bad things at the house. No, she hasn't. But I don't get to pick and choose. I have to be loving to all people. But pastor, that's hard. No one said living out Christianity is going to be easy. But if we are having the spirit lead us, then we begin to live by the spirit. Now, again, I want you to understand that if you're a Christian, this is the only time where you can resist the spirit. Because if you're a non-Christian, you're doing what you want to do anyways. When we're in heaven, we're only going to do what the Spirit gives to us, and we're going to be perfect. So this is the only time where we're back where Adam and Eve were, where we can do what the Holy Spirit says or not do what the Holy Spirit says. So when we begin to resist, um, bad things start to happen. (laughs) Because again, are we doing things willingly? Are we doing things because we are led and act? Are we being still? Are we asking God to lead? Then are we acting upon it? Because again, we can say we, hey, we heard the right things. We understood the call that you gave to us. We're just not going to do it. See, the Holy Spirit is always bringing us to a place of saying, I'm creating in you. I'm leading you. That's why we can also, listen, it, it tells us that, that we can wound the Holy Spirit. So, so again, if the Holy Spirit is calling us in, into question, or he's calling our actions into question, and we still go ahead and do it, that wounds the Spirit. That's why Simon had to, as Mickey read earlier, Simon had to go back and say, hey, pray for me so these things don't happen that you said. I need to... Repent. Again, what's the difference between Peter and Judas? They both sold out Jesus. They both were sorry. So why does Judas go to hell and Peter gets to lead the church? Peter repents. Peter turns from his sin and he turns back to Christ. Judas was sad for his sin and he goes and kills himself. So it's a call to repentance that we allow the Holy Spirit to live and to move and to lead us. And also, not only is he leading us, but he's also given to us gifts. Because we all need external helps. The gifts are given to the church. So it's the same spirit. There's many times that people come up to me and said, it was almost like you were in my conversation. Or um, I taught exactly what you just taught on. That's not coincidence. That's the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit moves and he gives and he moves within the whole church. It's the same spirit. 
So you shouldn't be saying, hey, your lesson means it was contrary to my message. Can't be. We always are going to be a part of the thing. We're always going to be about encouraging. And what about those people that become thorns in your side? Those people you just kill. No. They drive us back to the cross. If you're not forgiving the person that says they hate you the most, then you do not understand the grace of Jesus Christ. But pastor, you don't know what they have done. Jesus does. And he says, forgive them as I've forgiven you. See, he's always drawing us back to the cross. And I want you to also understand that the gifts are given to all believers, everyone. Everyone, the Spirit has gifted you in a specific way to minister to those around you. And I truly mean everyone. Listen to the story about a boy named Shay. There's a school up in Brooklyn, New York, and this is a true story, that caters to learning disabled children. At a fundraising dinner, the father, one student, delivered a speech. And he said this, where is the perfection in my son, Shay? Everything God does is done with perfection. But my child cannot understand things as other children do. My child cannot remember facts and figures as other children do. So where is God's perfection? The audience was shocked by the question, pained by the father's anguish, and stilled by the piercing query. I believe the father to answer that when God brings a child like this into the world, the perfection that he seeks is in the way that people react to this child. He told the story. One afternoon, they were walking by, and Shay saw some friends who were playing baseball. And so he asked his dad, do you think they'll let me play? But Shay's father knew that his son was not all athletic, and most boys would not want him on their team. But so he asked anyways, because he knew it would be an encouragement to Shay. The boy looked around that the dad talked to from his teammates, but getting no guidance, he took matters into his own hand and said, we're losing by six runs anyways, and the game is in the eighth inning. I guess he can be on our team, and we'll try to put him up to bat in the ninth inning. So Shea ecstatic, runs out into the field with his father's glove on, and he glows out and plays short center field. So then bottom of the ninth, Shea's team gets up. They score a couple runs, but there's still three runs behind. And then they finally get to the ninth inning. So there's two outs, bases loaded, and the potential winning run on base. But it was Shea turn to bat. So the father thought, surely he's not going to get to. But surprisingly, Shea was given the bat. And everyone knew that it was all but impossible because Shea didn't even know how to hold the bat properly, let alone hit with it. But he stepped up to the plate, but the pitcher moved a few steps closer to lob the ball in softly so Shea should at least be able to make contact. The first pitch came and Shea swung clumsily and missed. So one of Shea's teammates came up and together they held the bat and faced the pitcher waiting for the next pitch. The pitcher again took a few steps forward to toss the ball. And as the pitch came in, Shea and his teammate swung and together they hit a slow ground ball back to the pitcher. The pitcher picked up the soft grounder and could easily have thrown the ball to the first pitcher, to the first baseman, sorry. Shea would have been out and that would have ended the game. 
Instead, the pitcher took the ball, threw it in a high arc out into right field, far beyond reach of the first baseman. Everyone started yelling, Shay, run to first, run to first. Never in his life had Shay run to first. He scampered down the baseline, wide-eyed and startled. By the time he reached first base, the right fielder had the ball, and he could have thrown the ball to the second baseman who would easily tag Shea out, who was still running and didn't know to stop. But the right fielder understood, so he threw the ball high and far over the third baseman's head. And everyone yelled, run to second, run to second. Shea ran as the runners ahead of him deliriously circled the bases towards home. As Shea reached second base, the opposing shortstop ran to him, turned him into the direction of third base, and shouted, run to third. As Shea rounded third, the boys from both teams, I thought I could do this, ran behind him screaming, Shea, run home. Shea ran home stepped on home plate, and all 18 boys lifted him on their shoulders and made him the hero of the day. The father said, that day, those 18 boys reached their level of God's perfection. God uses all of us to minister to all of us. I'm no better than a child with special needs. God changes us to look more like his son, Jesus Christ, every day through the power of the spirit that he allows to move within all of us. So that truly we are charismatic people in the New Testament church. If you are a Christian, allow the Spirit to move and use you. Be led by Him and use your gifting all to God's glory. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm a wuss, but I'm a wuss that is saved by grace through faith in Christ and has been given the Holy Spirit to encourage, to speak life, not death to love and not hate, to bring kindness, to be gentle, to be patient. Father, where we have failed, where we failed as individuals in our own families, where we failed as individuals in this church, where we failed as individuals in your world. Father, forgive us and allow us to repent and to run back 
to you. And then, Father, may your word make deep roots into our hearts so that the Holy Spirit truly can transform our thinking and our minds into doing the things that are the most good for us but is the most glorifying to you. Father, I thank you for Shay's true story. I thank you for Lauren Wells' song. Lord, I thank you for so many people in this room who seek to please you and to follow you every day. I see it as they call one another and as they build one another, as they speak to one another. Lord, thank you. And so, Father, create within us. We know there's not going to be another Pentecost. But, Lord, we know that the Spirit moves. It's the same Spirit that was there on the day of Pentecost and gives to us his power. Father, may we be found faithful. For this we pray in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. I'm going to ask that you now stand.